0: Thanks for tuning in to My Weight Live, the podcast where we talk to medical experts about the latest research and how you can apply it to reaching your best weight. If you'd like to learn more, visit us at myweightwhattoknow.com or search My Weight What to Know on Facebook. We're always posting new articles, videos, and tools that make living a healthy life easier. Welcome to My Weight Live, everybody. Tonight, we are talking with endocrinologist Dr. Sue Peterson about the changing science of weight and why much of what we used to believe about dieting and weight loss is wrong. You won't want to miss this. Stay with us. Folks, as we get started tonight, tell us where you're watching from in the comments. We're so glad you were able to join us live. Our guest tonight is Dr. Sue Peterson. Dr. Peterson is an endocrinologist and obesity medicine specialist who's really been a pioneer in the obesity space. She was one of the authors of the action study in Canada which looked at barriers to obesity management, and is actually a study we're going to be talking about a lot tonight. Thanks so much for joining us tonight, Dr. Peterson.
1: It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Ansley.
0: Well, I'm really excited to hear your perspective on kind of what we now know about the science behind weight and body size. Let's start with the action study. I think one of the key points that jumped out at me right away was that most people living with obesity feel that it's their sole responsibility to lose weight. And according to the study, many people spend more than 10 years struggling with weight before they first. Talk to their doctor about it. As an expert in the field, what do you wish people knew about why it's so important to seek medical attention?
1: Well, you know, I I think when we look at our society, we are in this environment where there's a a lot of stigma and bias against people who struggle with excess weight. Um, And that has probably been one of the major barriers towards people feeling comfortable even to go and talk to their doctor to say hey help me w- with my weight. Um, from the doctor's perspective we don't get a lot of education about weight management so really most doctors don't know what to do because nobody's ever taught them what they should do. Now that's changing and we'll get into that as we go along here tonight yes. um, but uh, really important for uh, people who struggle with weight to understand that it's uh, for a lot of people they're concerned about the, the aesthetics uh, of carrying this weight but really it's about health, right? It's Absolutely. about the health complications that come along with carrying excess weight. And uh, this is one of the many reasons why it's important to talk with your doctor about the weight struggle, because there's a lot of things that need to be checked. You know, what are blood sugars looking like? Is there diabetes? Is there pre-diabetes? Is there sleep apnea, blood pressure? Uh, and to help to get those things managed. Um, a lot of people with um, who carry excess weight struggle with uh, pain in their joints, uh, arthritis, um, get help in Managing that, um, and and also um, when we're looking at trying to help a person who carries excess weight manage their weight, it's really important to understand what the root causes are of that weight struggle. Um, Is it um, emotional eating? Is it a medication that has caused weight gain? Um, There's so many things that I'm sure we'll get into as well. But all of these things, um, you know, nobody can manage uh, to figure that out on their own. Uh, You need help from a healthcare team to address those things.
0: You've just addressed so many important things that really do make weight not kind of a do-it-yourself condition, this isn't as simple as like pick yourself up by the bootstraps and just work harder. Most people with struggling, who are struggling with weight are working very hard, and I think you've just laid Absolutely. out several several things that really only a, a medical professional is enabled to do. So, so you're actually one of the authors on kind of the upcoming 2020 Canadian obesity guidelines, and those will help guide doctors across Canada in helping people manage their weight. And I think that's really important because you know we have guidelines for diseases, and we now know that obesity is a chronic disease with a whole bunch of factors, some of which we don't really have any control over. So talk a little bit about all the things that can contribute to what our weight is and how those things can change over time.
1: Um, So there's um, many things that can contribute to weight struggle. So um, genetics, uh, first of all, is probably one of the most powerful um, elements. So what I will often ask my patients is um, if we took a picture of you with your family, uh, biological relatives, would you have similar body shape and size? And most often they say, oh yes, on my mom's side or my dad's side or both sides. Um, and that's It's imp- that, important to understand that there are now um, hundreds of genes that we know of that are associated with weight struggles and each of those contributes uh, one or two pounds. So if you carry more of those genes, then that is part of why your best weight will be at a higher weight than someone who carries more of the good cheats. And it, it doesn't mean we can't manage weight within that, but it is important to understand why everybody shouldn't have um, a body mass index of 23, which is what we would consider the healthy weight. It, healthy weight's individual for each person. So there's genetics. Um, many medications, uh, in uh, antidepressants, uh, some diabetes medications, some antipsychotic medications, some blood pressure medications, it can cause weight gain. And within those groups, there's often alternatives that actually can help with weight loss, or at least be weight neutral. So uh, going through those meds with your doctor is is one is an important thing. Um, there's things we're just starting to learn about, like the bacteria in our gut called the microbiome, um, which we don't really have. Treatment for that yet, but we're just starting to understand that that's a contributor. That it plays a role. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mental health issues, emotional issues. Um, There's very few people who don't have uh, some kind of emotional relationship with food, Uh, be that eating because we feel stressed, sad, happy, um, bored, uh, all of those things. So um, managing uh, those issues is uh, a key part of managing the weight struggle. So this is an example of some of the many causes uh, that contribute to weight struggles.
0: Okay, all right. We're gonna we're gonna talk about a lot of those, and I'm actually so glad you talked about emotional eating because I think I think it's uh, Michael Vallis who says that everyone in our society eats emotionally. That's just what we do, and yet it is so difficult to kind of untangle that relationship between feeling sad or feeling bored or feeling stressed and eating. But we'll we'll hopefully dive into all of that a little bit later. What I want to um, dive in on a little bit is one of the things that came up from the action study is that many people report that they know how to lose weight. And yet, less than 10% of those people surveyed have lost more than 10% of their body weight and maintained it for more than a year. So we all know losing weight is hard. But why is keeping it off so very, very difficult? What's happening in our body that makes that so hard?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, Ansley. So, when we lose weight, our bodies evolutionarily think there's a famine where our genetics have built us to survive a famine. So, think of it that way. So, when our weight goes down intentionally, because we're Mm -hmm. trying to lose weight, there's um, a hunger hormone that our stomach makes called ghrelin, which goes up, says, You're hungry, go eat food. You need to find food to survive this famine. Uh, There's a whole bunch of fullness hormones that are made in our guts, fat tissue, these fullness hormones go down because our body wants us to be hungry. Evolution wants us to go and find food to regain the weight. And then the third thing that happens is that the energy burn in all of the cells in our body, just settle down. It's like the furnace being turned down a little bit. Um, Again, because our body is trying to conserve energy Hmm. to survive the famine. And on that note, also, if you lose 20 pounds, think of it like you've taken off a 20 pound backpack. You don't need as much energy to go around and do the daily things if you put that. 20-pound backpack back on, you can imagine that you need to burn more energy just to carry that weight around. So all of those things favor weight regain.
0: Wow, okay, so it's not our imagination. <laughs> That's a lot of things no. kind of working <laughs> against us. Like our body is adapting to kind of the, the fewer calories, you know, our hunger hormones are going up. Because I think sometimes people think it's my imagination that I'm hungrier, but what I hear you saying is, no, like you are actually hungrier because your hormones are going crazy saying, hey, you need oh, to absolutely. eat more, we need to put that weight back on. Wow, absolutely. okay, all right, so what I think I hear you saying and what I think we've heard from a lot of experts is, it's the science is clear those mechanisms that lead to weight regain are really what make or one of many things that make obesity as a chronic disease. So I think sometimes hearing all the ways that our bodies are working against us when we're trying to lose weight can be a little discouraging, but there is good news here. We're gonna spend the rest of the time with Dr. Peterson talking about the several evidence-based interventions that have been proven to help us lose weight and keep it off so it's all good news from here and I think Dr. Peterson let's start off by talking about these tools that can really help people reach their best weight so before we even dive into that let's talk about best weight as a concept you said that not everyone should be striving for a 23 BMI how does someone figure out what their best weight is
1: when we are helping people manage their weight what we advise is a five to ten percent weight loss uh, because we know that if you can lose 5 to 10% body weight, you are actually uh, reducing your risk of complications associated with weight or improving existing complications, um, which would. Be- we presume would prolong lifespan. So um, the goal is not it's more about a percentage weight. It's not a particular number. We're not trying um, to get to, individual a, to a or another.
0: to a target on a scale. Got it. Correct.
1: Yes. And we really want to focus. We want to take I mean we, we do talk about numbers when we talk about weight to some extent, but we're really what we're really looking to do is improve health. Absolutely.
0: And I think one of the things that is really positive and has kind of come as a surprise to me is all the good things that can happen when we lose 5 to 10% of our body weight as as you were alluding to earlier.
1: Yeah, and you know, actually um just one kilogram of weight loss, so two pounds, in a person who has prediabetes reduces the risk of developing diabetes by sixteen percent. And you lose wow. another kilo, you get another 16%. So sugars are exquisitely sensitive wow. to even a small reduction in weight. So 5% weight, we see improvements with blood pressure, sugars, cholesterol. If we get down to 10% weight loss. That's when we start to see improvements in um, sleep apnea, um, osteoarthritis, pain scores, things like that. So that's sort of why that range of 5 to 10% is what we're generally aiming for. Yeah, For some people, though, I would say if the trajectory has been that of weight gain over time and just despite all their attempts, everything they're doing, weight keeps going up, up, up. If we start an intervention and weight is actually the same six months later, that's a success. That's a victory. So it's very individual for each. Absolutely. And we celebrate that. We should celebrate
0: that. And we should celebrate that. And And I think what you're talking about, how, how individualized it needs to be, is just yet another reason. That's something you can work through with a medical professional. Figuring out what's realistic for you, figuring out when you should be celebrating and kind of getting a a personalized plan to get there. So tell us kind of at a high level, what are some of the things that are proven to help people manage weight in the long run?
1: When we talk about weight management strategies, we talk about three categories of treatment. So we talk about um, lifestyle or health behavior interventions. Mm -hmm. We talk about medications. And in some cases, we talk about bariatric surgery as well. Um, with lifestyle or health behavior interventions, we talk about, um, of course, uh, dietary changes or adjustments. And a lot of people are already doing that. They know what they should be eating and what they should be eating. What's a healthy food? What's not? Right. Uh, portion size is something that our um, society really overinflates, like four hundred percent compared to what it was thirty <laughs> years ago. So there's often a lot of, uh, you know, education that can be helpful on that. We talk about activity. Um, And that's going to be different for different people. You know, we have um, activity guidelines of, you know, how many minutes per week and how intense activity, but really it's individualized. For some people, um, starting to walk a block a day is going to be a big change from what they've been able to do before. So to say to that person, you have to run three kilometers every, you know, three times a week, that's not realistic. So again, individualized. Mm -hmm. And then really important in the health behavior change category is also the uh, behavioral therapy and helping to... To change behaviors, right? So a, a lot of this comes back to connections with emotional eating, for example, um, and really keeping our brains off of autopilot. So um, I love this um, analogy that um, uh, my colleague, who you saw in the video and friend, of, a good friend of mine, David Macklin, um, came up with about this uh, CEO executive that sits at the top of our brain. So think of a there's a computer that says autopilot, and there's your CEO who's typically fast asleep beside the autopilot. <laughs> so the autopilot takes in all of the signals from the hungerfulness hormones, from the wanting liking of food, feeds into the autopilot computer, and off we go and find our food and eat and enjoy and be social and um, all of these things. And if the CEO is asleep, that's going to continue and the trajectory will be weight gain in most cases. It's just so
0: much food all around us. That's For sure. For sure.
1: And in our society, there's most cases, there's no famine. There's some people with food scarcity, but generally not, right? Most people, it's readily accessible everywhere as much as you want. Um, So if we keep that CEO tapped on the shoulder, keep that CEO awake and say, hey, make... Conscious changes. So this is where things like journaling, um, you know, being mindful about our choices, Mm -hmm. thinking about what we're doing, not just mind, you know, without thinking, just reach for that bag. That's an important part of the health behavior intervention lifestyle counseling. So that's the first category. I hope mm-hmm. I'm not blabbing on too
0: long. No, no, no. I, th- um, I think, and I, what I really like about what you've just kind of, um, you've talked about a lot of things that can fall under that behavior intervention bucket, you know, that being more aware, being more mindful, you know, like not letting just things go on autopilot. So I'm glad you kind of covered a nice broad spectrum of things there. Good. So good. bucket number one. Um
1: that's Keep bucket going. number 1. So bucket number 2 is medications for weight management. So um first thing to say here is that nothing works without bucket 1, right? So the health behavior changes have to be in place even bariatric surgery in bucket number 3 that doesn't work unless bucket number 1 is being tended to. That's so the in foundation of bucket 1. Absolutely. Yes. Um so there's three medications in Canada that we have approved for weight management. So there's a medication called Saxenda, which is liraglutide, uh, Contrave, and Orlistat. So those are the three medications that we have available. And then um, in the bucket number three is bariatric surgery. And that is uh, the most common procedures are called sleeve gastrectomy or gastric bypass surgery, where we make um, adjustments in the anatomy. So either removing part of the stomach or making a smaller stomach and rerouting the intestine in order to um, help with weight loss.
0: Wow. Okay. So I want to go back to something you said. You said um, bucket, if anything in bucket number two and bucket number three is not going to work if bucket number one, kind of the um, healthy behavioral intervention, that healthy lifestyle is in place. And I think sometimes where we get caught is feeling, if I can't I should be able to do it on my own with bucket number one. We put so much emphasis on lifestyle change and diet and exercise. We don't really give ourselves a chance to be successful with bucket number two or bucket number three. Is that a fair characterization? And what would you say to someone who says, I just need to work harder?
1: Um, So uh, as you uh, quoted already, the action study um, showed, this was a survey of Canadians living with obesity. And um, the majority felt that this was something that they needed to do on their own, that they knew what they needed to do. Um, and yet only 10% of these individuals surveyed were able to lose 10% weight and keep it off for a year. So um, that those numbers show, you know, people think that they know what they should do, but it's not working. Right. And that, that's not anybody's fault. That's not because people aren't working hard. People yes. work very hard. Right. The problem is that we have this environment that is um, geared against us. We have evolution that is, wants working us to against. weigh the most we possibly can. Right. Right. At all times. Right. Um, so most people need help. They need additional help. Um, Also, it really helps to have healthcare providers um, kind of look into things with you to try to understand what are um, the barriers to the weight struggle. You know, I had, you know, patients would come and say to me, you know, I I really hadn't thought about that um, that emotional relationship with food and how much that was driving my weight struggle. And I was trying to do is really sticking with these different food programs, food program, but then I would be derailed. And I didn't really realize what a powerful impact that was having so uh it really is a really do encourage that uh, for anyone struggling with weight to see a healthcare provider who can help you with the struggle
0: absolutely okay so bucket number one foundational but for many people not enough so let's talk about those other most two people most people thank you yes I, I i i'm not the healthcare professional so i i didn't defer to you okay, <laughs> okay so for most people not enough so bucket number two um prescription medication and the three medications that you mentioned are all prescription medication correct yes correct so what do those medications do how can they help our lifestyle change be more successful
1: so uh we'll take them one by one so um the the first medication that became available in Canada, it's been around for about twenty years. That's Orlistat or Xenical. Uh, that's actually a pill that reduces the amount of fat that we absorb uh, when we eat. So if you eat fat, um, you don't absorb as much, and it comes out in at the other end in the stool. Got it. So um, the weight loss you get there is um, about three percent more than placebo. So uh, 3% plus whatever you get with the weight intervention. So it's not a super effective medication. It also doesn't do anything to address appetite and okay. it's limited by the side effects, which is uh, stomach upset and um, foul smelling stool and things like that because okay. the poop, it's coming out in the poop. So that's Zeneca um, The second medication we got in Canada was uh, Saxenda, which was in 2015. Mm-hmm. So this is actually a hormonal therapy. So um, Saxenda or loraglutide is a hormone called GLP-1 that our guts make when we eat and it tells our brain we feel full. so um, when you take Saxenda, you're getting more of that GLP-1 hormone. You're getting more of a fullness sense. Uh, some people also describe a change in food preferences as well. That hmm. they say, you know, I'm not really, not really interested in the salty or sweet or chocolate anymore. I'm more huh. interested in the healthier food. So it seems it, that's anecdotal, but mm-hmm. it seems to have some effect that way as well. Uh, weight loss with Saxenda is about five percent on top of what you get with lifestyle change. Wow. Okay. Uh, and then the third that came to market a couple of years ago was Contrave, which is actually a combination of two medications that have been around for over twenty years. One is Welbutrin, which is uh, an antidepressant medication, uh, combined with it's also called Bupropion. Uh, combined with naltrexone, which is a medication that is prescribed for people who are trying to get off of um, alcohol addictions or narcotic addictions. And it just happens that the two together cause weight loss. Um, Hmm. It also works on that fullness center in our brain. So the same uh, similar area to where Saxenda works and also has uh, good data to show a reduction in cravings. So it affects the, uh, decreases the wanting and liking of food. So a lot of people will describe uh, a sense of just relief from yeah, I'm, I don't have this this craving driving me to eat anymore when I'm on contrave. Um, again, weight loss, but there is very similar to with Saxenda, so about five percent um, on top of the lifestyle change. What you're getting with your lifestyle change?
0: Got it. So one question I had, yeah. oh, did you have more to say? I don't want to interrupt you. No. Okay. No. So one question I had yeah. for you was because the Action Study also reported that that very few doctors said that they prescribe medications for weight loss. So why yes. are so few doctors prescribing medication? And if someone watching at home tonight is interested in trying a prescription medication, what should they do?
1: Um, okay, so uh, you're right. So, that uh, when we did the action study, we surveyed not only people uh, struggling with weight, but also healthcare providers who are involved in weight management. And we were actually s- super disappointed to see how few actually felt that weight management medication was useful. Um, a lot of this comes down to, a, again, a lack of education, that doctors don't get much education about weight management. So, where are they going to learn about these medications and your and how guidelines? They work? Um, <laughs> You're doing some very important work. We'll get to that. (laughs) Yes. And our obesity guidelines will be coming out in uh, March. Um, I'm the lead author on the medication chapter. So I was uh, one of the three people. Wrote that chapter. Um, And there's lots of great messages uh, for people struggling with weight themselves in those guidelines that they can take to their healthcare provider and say, hey, there's these medications available in Canada or go to bariatric surgery chapter or whatever chapter and take this information to your doctor and say, hey, these guidelines say we should be talking about this and this and this. Let's have that conversation. So it'll be a great door opener. Um, Where was I? Why doctors don't prescribe? So um, there's also, we talked a little about weight Bias and stigma, uh, which unfortunately has been shown to be uh, most profound in the healthcare community. So, when I, I do a lot of teaching for uh, doctors um, domestically and internationally as well, and uh, one of the main messages that we try to get across is that obesity is a chronic disease, mm-hmm. just like uh, diabetes. You wouldn't start a, a diabetes treatment for six months and then stop it; the sugars would go up. It's a chronic disease. Same with weight. It's intended. Any treatment you start is intended to be a long-term, you would not treat diabetes with medication. So why would you not treat obesity with medication? So I, I draw that parallel uh, frequently and it seems to um, really, uh, really resonate. And uh, one of the third big reason why doctors aren't prescribing weight management medication is because they are expensive and they are not covered by any provincial coverage and uh, only um, 20%, it's getting a little better, but a little more than 20% of private medical plans could currently pay for weight management medication so the okay. cost is certainly a barrier as well. Okay. All right, well those and are I three. forgot the second part of your question so you have to ask well,
0: me again. Well, no, so so actually what I was going to say was um, if someone is thinking gosh, you know, some prescription medication might really help me on my journey right now, um, what should someone do?
1: What I would suggest um, for anyone who wants to have a conversation with their healthcare provider about weight management is book a specific appointment to talk about that. Um, it's it's a big conversation you know we've talked about a lot of the things that are I mean it takes more than one appointment to talk about weight management Mm -hmm. Uh, but if you go into your doctor about something else you know hey my foot hurts etc etc and then at the end go uh and by the way what can we do about my weight there's no time to talk about that. You've already spent the time talking with the other things and there's 37 people in the waiting room. So book a specific appointment and uh, say, okay, today I would like to talk about my weight. And uh, within a couple of months time, you'll have a beautiful Canadian obesity guideline where you can look at, it'll be online, it'll be free. There's key messages for people living with overweight and obesity that you can pull right off of that. Look at your topic you want to talk about, bring it into your doctor. I think that's the most straightforward thing. It doesn't mean you have to wait until then. You can go in and have the conversation with, with your doctor without those tools. But also ask, you know, if you get the feeling like your, your doctor doesn't want to talk about it, because there may be some who are resistant because they don't know much about it, they don't know what to say. Um, you can. It's also perfectly fair to say, hey um, family doctor, if, if you're not comfortable to talk about this that's 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 okay can you refer me somewhere where i can get some help because there are obesity uh, specialty centers in most cities uh, in all cities across canada and some smaller uh, smaller areas as well but you want to make sure you're not going down to the slimming um, yes. you know yes. place on the on the corner that just takes your money and doesn't give you anything you want, it doesn't help you so you want to go to a, a public health service um, clinic that is actually geared towards weight management for help.
0: Okay, so I want to say a couple things here. I want to do two plugs for websites. One, on the myweightwhettonow.com website, we have a clinic locator, and you can put in your zip code or put in your province, and you will see physicians who specialize in the medical treatment of weight management, so not the kind of slimming, you know, quick fix solutions that Dr. Sue was talking about earlier. These are actual physicians and clinics who are medically treating excess weight as a chronic disease. So be sure to check that out. But second of all, as you're thinking about that appointment with your doctor, you want to arm yourself with as much knowledge as you can. And I want to recommend Dr. Peterson has a wonderful website called drsue.ca. We will link to it in the comments. And Dr. Peterson, you do a great job of actually talking about studies, talking about the latest information, kind of from a doctor perspective, but also a regular person perspective. You really meld that well. Um, So I think, folks, if you were— You you do. You do a really good job. If you want to know kind of the latest science of what's happening, in this field and what people are now learning about the science of weight, that's what our show is called, definitely go check out her website because I think what I hear you saying is, doctors are asked to know so many things, especially family doctors. Many don't know as much about kind of the latest science around weight. The more we can go into the office prepared for, this is the conversation I'd like to have, and this is kind of the outcome I'd like. It sounds like that's going to be a better, more productive conversation. Absolutely, fully agree. Okay, so we didn't really talk about the third treatment, which is bariatric surgery. Uh, So tell us a little bit about uh, what bariatric surgery does and the type of person who should be considering bariatric surgery.
1: Um, So the criteria uh, for bariatric surgery, it it is uh, based on BMI criteria, which is body mass index, which is a calculation based on weight and height. And, and you know, again, when I say that, I also say we try to get away from the numbers on the scale, but there has to be some kind of regulation to it. And also the studies are done in groups of people with those body mass index measures. So that's why those are the criteria. Bariatric surgery is uh, publicly funded meaning it's something that you can get paid for um, in, in most cases by your provincial government. And a, again, the two main surgeries that are done now are sleeve gastrectomy and gastric bypass surgery. So um, the BMI criteria for either one is a BMI of 40 or greater or a BMI of 35 with a complication of weight, which can be diabetes or sleep apnea, high blood pressure, those kinds of things. Um the sleeve gastrectomy you actually remove part of the stomach and instead of having a sac for a stomach the stomach becomes this shape of a, a sleeve so that's why it's called a sleeve oh, okay. so you get a Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's like where so you get sleeve a smaller <laughs> because the shape of a sleep. Um, So you get more rapid delivery of food into the intestine and you have a smaller stomach. And the the important thing about getting faster delivery into the intestine is that causes a more powerful release of the fullness hormones like GLP-1 we talked about and many other ones as well. And then with less stomach, you have less ghrelin because ghrelin is that hunger hormone that comes from the stomach. So those hormonal changes um, help with uh, helping you feel full. And also our um, the intestinal hormone changes are very powerful to improve blood sugar. So uh, hmm. diabetes or prediabetes is one of the uh, number one uh, drivers of wanting to do bariatric surgery in, in that group of ah. people. Uh, there is actually evidence for doing di- um, bariatric surgery in people with diabetes uh, who have a BMI of 30 or greater. Uh, that's kind of a newer area. So that's not really the standard criteria at this point, but we're kind of moving towards that. Weight loss you get with sleeve gastrectomy is about 30%. So you have the most effect with bariatric surgery as the third bucket. Um, But it's also, of course, more invasive than medication or just doing the bucket one. Gastric bypass surgery is a surgery where they make a smaller stomach and they reroute the intestines. So you get, uh, again, earlier delivery of nutrients further down in the intestine faster. So again, that same powerful surge of the fullness hormones, those hormones also help the pancreas uh, with blood sugar control. Um, So you get, again, uh, often get uh, remission of diabetes and weight loss. There's uh, about uh, 40% on oh. average. But again, different for different people and none of it works with a bucket one.
0: Without so bucket one. <laughs> exactly. That foundational yeah. bucket one. Wow. Okay. So my last question, because this time has flown, last question for you, Dr. Peterson, is about women specifically. So we know that there are things happening at different times in our lives that can make reaching or sustaining our best weight more challenging. What should women specifically know about maintaining a healthy weight kind of throughout those events in our lives that can be more challenging? Getting getting back to our pre-pregnancy weight or going through menopause? What should women know specifically about how our our changes throughout time can affect our weight?
1: Um, So let's take menopause first. Um, I think that's one of the ones I most commonly get asked about. So um, in menopause, we lose our reproductive hormones. So our ovaries stop making estrogen progesterone and um, estrogen gets converted to testosterone as well. So we also lose testosterone production. Estrogen is uh, actually has a role in uh, weight regulation. So it makes it harder to regulate weight without estrogen. Progesterone loss can cause sleep deprivation. So can the hot flashes from losing estrogen. And we know sleep, uh, altered sleep cycles or sleep deprivation is a contributing factor. It's one of the causes of obesity also that we hadn't talked about yet. Uh-huh. Um, and when we lose testosterone, that makes our body want to turn muscle into fat. And uh, fat is less metabolically active. You don't need as much calories to support muscle or fat in your body as you do muscle. So mm-hmm. all of those things contribute to weight gain. So what can we do? Uh, first, be aware of that uh, so that we can kind of try and be on top of things during that menopausal transition and be aware of uh, what's happening with our body, what's happening with you know our calorie needs. Is our weight staying stable? Is it not? Being active is really important to try to maintain uh, some of that muscle mass so okay. that our bodies don't try and turn our muscle into fat. Mm-hmm. So being cognizant of it is really the best thing. Pregnancy. Um, so, so the on, just, I
0: just want to stop you right oh, there, sure. because because yeah, you're yeah. right. We hear most about menopause. So, but what I heard you say are mm-hmm. three very important things. It's not your imagination. There is kind of a lot working against you during For menopause. Sure. Exercise yep. is really important, particularly weight-bearing mm-hmm. exercise to kind of maintain that muscle mass and not let our bodies kind of turn that muscle into fat. And recognizing the role that sleep deprivation does play on our weight. So whatever we can do to kind of adjust sleep cycles and try to get as much of that healthy sleep as we can. Those are three really important things. This also might be a moment where we accept that not gaining is as big of a win as not as losing weight sometimes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, okay. and overarching all that is, is ask for help. Yeah. Right? So if you That's see that things aren't going the way you want and you're like, yeah, yes. ask for help. Go into your healthcare provider and say, hey, I know about these things that happen in menopause. Yes, I'm struggling. My weight's going up. I, give me some help. I need some help.
0: I love it. Okay. Uh, pregnancy, uh, quickly, because I know we, we only got so much time sure. with you.
1: <laughs> sure. Um, so um, in pregnancy, uh, so first, so one important thing is that medications for weight cannot be used in a woman who's trying to get pregnant or pregnant or breastfeeding.
0: Got so it. that's very one important, important, point. important Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. And bariatric surgery, there's many women who struggle with fertility, um, which uh, due to often polycystic ovary syndrome, it's another complication of uh, excess weight, which often gets a lot better after bariatric surgery. But it's really important to wait at least one or two two years uh, before getting pregnant after bariatric surgery. So that's another really key safety issue. Um, Weight gain in pregnancy uh, and what we advise depends on what your weight is before you get pregnant. So we don't want to ever be risking depriving the developing baby of getting adequate nutrients so that something would be individualized with your doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after pregnancy and breastfeeding is uh, complete, then we can look at adding things in above bucket and over and above bucket one to try and help
0: with that wow dr peterson i have learned so much tonight thank you very much for sharing such a wonderful and really science-based perspective thank you
1: oh thanks so much for having me it's a great pleasure